Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Prep Life Podcast. This is your founder and CEO of Glam Girl Bikini, Amy Anger. And today I'm joined by the fabulous Lee Marie Hostetter. Welcome to the show, Lee. Hi, everyone. All right. So today we are going to do another episode of Overrated, Underrated. So we're going to try to do a better job. I felt like last time we did this, there were pauses. So if you weren't watching it on YouTube, it was kind of like, okay, there's some dead air. I have no idea what that's showing. So we're going to we're gonna try to say what they are and show at the same time so that our audio listeners can listen in and the viewers can see it. Um, so we're going to go over some common um, topics that are included with um, – you know, controversial issues, I guess, for lack of a better word, when it comes to gym. So do you want to get us rolling with the first one? Yes. Okay. So the first one that we're going to talk about is lifting heavy. And I'm going to say it is overrated. All right. I'm going to say it's underrated. So you go first. That's why it's overrated. This is why in my experience, I come from a strength training background And when I competed in powerlifting, the whole goal of your training is to lift as heavy as possible. And the the way that you do that is by practicing good technique and using leverage and momentum and technique to lift the most amount of weight off the floor with proper form just to get a number on the competition floor. And it has much less to do with mind-muscle connection, with um, really focusing on building that muscle. And so when I actually went lighter with weights and worked on things like supersets and burnouts and reps to failure and, you know, progressive overload, my muscle connection, I actually started building more muscle as a bodybuilder that actually Mm -hmm. helped transform my body in the gym. So that's why I would say lifting heavy is overrated, just coming from that background for bodybuilding. Yeah. And I'm totally on the same page with you. So whenever my mind goes to lifting, I'm always with that hypertrophy goal, right? Because I don't have a background in powerlifting, which is more about, like you said, force that you're putting on the object and things like that. So it's not about hypertrophy where you're actually trying to grow the muscle in size and that time under tension, right? But something that the reason why I said that it's underrated is that you know, until recently, um, I had, I didn't realize how light I was actually going. Um, I've kind of used this new approach where I have an accountability, um, coach that is looking over my actual weights that I'm lifting. And, you know, with the caveat that I'm lifting in a hypertrophy, you know, going for a hypertrophy goal. So, um, hypertrophic goal, and I'm putting that timer under tension. I'm using proper technique to do so, but I'm lifting much heavier than I had in the past. And I think, like, for me, when I think about that lifting heavy being underrated, it's just I think sometimes we get comfortable and our bodies will naturally want to get to that homeostatic place where they are comfortable. And once I started really pushing the weights and really trying to progressively overload and really see those numbers go up, I realized how much I was actually capable of and how low I was kind of like setting the bar. Um, 
So yeah, that's why I say it's overrated. But I think we're both kind of like on the same page with that, yeah. even though I feel like I was at the extreme on one end. You were probably at the yes. extreme on the other end. And so we met in the middle. Yes, yes. Yeah, I was lifting too light for sure. All right. The next one is muscle soreness. All right. I'm gonna we say are in agreement. Yeah. For those of you that are not on YouTube, I can't. I'm like, <laughs> which way does this go? So overrated. All right. Okay. So muscle soreness for me, as long as you are lifting in a progressive overload, you're going to make progress. Some days you might be more sore than other days, but I wouldn't say that's an indication of a good workout. And I also don't think that you need to chase that muscle soreness. Agreed. It's pretty much I'm on the same page. I think you will find that you will get muscle soreness, especially if you've taken an extended period off and your intensity is really high in the gym. But you could still have really high intensity and not get sore and have a good workout. So I think that's overrated in most cases. Okay. All right. So um, especially if you're doing a good job on recovery and prioritizing that. Absolutely. So. All right. So our next one is working out every day. Overrated. Overrated. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I'll go first on this one. I just used to be this person team every day. And it just, again, it's it's kind of goes back to what I was saying in the first part about like not lifting heavy enough. I think that you're always going to go at about like 80 to percent or less if you're not taking full rest days. I mean, I was even of the camp that, you know, seven days a week and then I backed off to like six and now I'm to five. And I feel like because my intensity and my lifting is so intentional that I actually need two days off um, a week. And then it makes me a lot sharper when I actually am in the gym. So I'm not just doing like a low level average where I'm kind of like excelling each time and really getting better. Yeah. I read a quote one time that it's, if you never feel like you need a rest day, you're not working out hard enough in the gym. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a, a give and take with that, because if you are sure. resting, you are going to be giving your, I mean, you said 80%. I think a lot of people are getting in the gym and giving Maybe less, like even less. Yeah. And so you're just always working out at that 60% because mentally you think you can't skip a day. Um, but if you actually yeah. worked out at like 95, a hundred percent in the gym, you would need that day off to recover. Absolutely. Uh, all right, training to muscle failure. Underrated. I have my green thumb. You yeah. kind of threw me off because yours is yours are both red, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, the markers I could find. I'm underrated as well. I agree. Underrated. So tell me why you agree with me. Absolutely. So I actually have like been reading some research on this and training to up to two reps away from muscle failure is fine for an ideal for muscle hypertrophy. But I don't think most of us ever even realize what muscle failure is. Most of us are 10, 12, even 20 reps away from muscle failure. Most of us are not actually hitting technical failure. So either your form goes or your muscles actually stop working. <laughs> so like you're trying to press and you, you think you're going up and you're actually going down, like failing. And so by training that close to failure or to failure, you actually kind of realize how hard you can push yourself in the gym. 
rather than pushing yourself at your 60%. Yeah. And I think we need to explain what technical failure is and the difference between that and mechanical failure. So can you elaborate on what you're mentioning? Right. So technical failure would be if you lose form. So let's say you're doing bicep curls and you start swinging the weight around and you can't see me here, but I'm really like kipping back and forth to try to swing the weight up. That would be like an example of technical failure where you're not actually training to failure in that muscle because now you're recruiting other muscles and using momentum versus um, what was the other one you said? So technical failure or mechanical failure? Mechanical. So mechanical yeah. failure would be if you were doing a, a bicep curl, like a preacher's curl on a machine or up against a wall where you couldn't activate other, you couldn't use motion or momentum to do it. And you actually went to failure until your bicep muscle, the muscle that you're trying to work in a curl failed on you. Okay. Yeah. Mine's a little bit different. So for me, like mechanical failure is when you kind of have recruited muscles that you're not really trying to isolate mm -hmm. and you're failing that out. Whereas technical failure, you're actually uh, fatiguing the actual muscle that you're trying to isolate. So for example, in a hip thrust, mm -hmm. to me, like technical failure is when your glutes can't lift the load anymore. But mechanical failure to me is when you kind of have already recruited like your hamstrings and your um, quads and your glutes to try to leverage it up. And you can't lift anymore is gotcha. kind of like how I kind of see those two. So I think we're on the same page in terms of the definition of hypertrophy is basically that you are, you know, leaving two to three reps in reserve um, to be basically in that that zone of still putting that stimulus on the muscles so that it's going to grow. All right. So training compound lifts as a bodybuilder. I agree. Oh, Overrated. Right. Yes. Okay. We are both on the same page. So I, um, I think, and the majority, I would guess the majority of our listeners are in the bikini or wellness um, categories. And I think compound lifts, maybe more with wellness, you might use them, but they, I mean, they recruit the whole body. I don't think it's quite as specific to the bikini look and muscle development to do things like squats or, you know, cleans, you know, maybe even overhead press where you could do things like uh, Arnold press with dumbbells or lateral raises or hip thrusts or things that are more specific to glutes, hamstrings, shoulders, back, the muscles that we need to work on to create that bikini shape. Is that kind yeah. of and when when I say, you know, the difference between a compound lift and an auxiliary lift is, you know, auxiliary lift, you're isolating one muscle group, like you were saying, um, like with a bicep curl. Um, and then your compound movements are your multi-jointed movements. So in bikini, I would say the most popular ones are like a sumo deadlift, um, an RDL, and, you know, some would argue, and even Brett Contreras, I don't know if he is... I was just listening to a podcast about whether or not he thinks that it's a multi-jointed movement for the hip thrust. Um, mm -hmm. But anyway, you get what I'm saying. There's, you know, there's multiple lifts in bikini that are very beneficial to getting like that, you know, that glute separation and tie-in area developed that are essential. Um, so I think that it's, you know, but like you said, we're not going to use like power cleans 
we're not going to do a lot of bench pressing and things like that. So, um, yeah. So I think that's why I, it's kind of like a little bit of a mixed answer on that one, but okay. I think also it's important to note that we're not saying just because something is overrated means you should never do it or it's bad. Exactly. It's yeah. Overused or we focus on it more than we maybe need to. Exactly. Yes. Very okay. good point. So. All right. So step goals. I'm going to say that they are overrated. Oh, and I am saying they're underrated. So for <laughs> me, I just know for me personally, I lean out fat. Like I will make progress if we bump my steps up in a prep and keeping my steps and activity high will lean me out. I think it's an, un maybe it's just because I never really thought about it or tracked it until I started prepping. But to me, it kind of blew my mind what a difference a step goal can make. I think for some people that are just naturally active during the day, it might be overrated. It might not even matter. But for people that have desk jobs or, you know, just kind of stand around, are not even aware of have maybe they work from home. Having a step goal can make a huge difference. It's easy on your body. You don't have to, you know, have recovery on. It's not hard on your joints or whatever to go out for a walk. And it's really good for burning calories. Yes, I think you're totally right in that regard. I do think that um, like when it comes to making adjustments too, though, it's important to when we look at uh, cardio and we're adding that in to remember what their lifestyle is. I think that's what your your point is really good one, um, because if they're a desk job worker, it's going to be a totally different story. Um, when you're adding in cardio, it's going to really make a big impact. So just keeping in mind, you know, those things like what's their baseline that I always ask clients that, especially when they're first starting is like, what is your average daily steps like right now? Mm -hmm. And then as long as we're using that to tinker and, you know, um, it's going to organically, your steps are going to go up if they're, if you're getting your cardio adjusted up um, mm -hmm. and vice versa. So yeah, I can see what you're saying where where it could be underrated, especially I think before the age of having watches and things like that, um, as a coach, it was hard, like from a data standpoint, to be able to understand, like, why is this person, you know, not losing when I'm increasing the cardio? And so what can happen with competitors is their everyday movements kind of go down as their cardio goes up sometimes as kind of like a checks and balances with their body. Mm -hmm. So they don't intentionally move less when they're on less calories and their cardio has been increased, but their everyday activities can sometimes downregulate. So I think there, I think you're totally right. It's underrated in that regard because, um, you know, before we had the data of steps, we couldn't really understand sometimes like why when we were making adjustments, nothing was happening. And it was because they were kind of like, you know, pushing really hard, maybe in like their cardio and then the rest of the day, they were kind of a sloth. So I think you're right there. So I changed my answer. If that, that's I love it. <laughs> okay. So the next one is machines. So we're thinking machines in the gym. Yeah. Underrated. I, I, so is when we say underrated, we like them. Are we on team machines? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Well, okay. I'm on team machines. Okay. Here's, here's my dreams go for me. Underrated. Okay. So I, I am a huge fan of free weights. I don't think machines are better than free weights. I think they're, um, I think we underestimate how 
uh, incredible they are. And I'm including the cable machine on this too, because I love cables. You get resistance in both directions. Um, and I come from, you know, the strength training background where I turned up my nose at these machines for a long time. I would only do the leg press, um, pretty much as far as a machine. And I would do all the other things. Oh, wow. Weights. Um, because I just I thought machines were sort of for old people that couldn't do like <laughs> dumbbell shoulder press. So they would do the machine shoulder press. But if I want to go to failure in a shoulder press, let's say I want to go really heavy and then do a drop set to failure, but I don't have anyone to spot me. I'm probably not going to go as hard with dumbbells as I could go on a machine. And sure. I, yeah. And I think, um, cables for sure. If we include cables, I think they're incredible for muscle hypertrophy. And the, I mean, I've started doing some ab machines. I always turned up my nose at ab machines, but adding resistance to your core work can really just destroy you. And you can really work on progressive overload with, you know, not just doing 20 crunches, three by 20, whatever day after day, week after week, month after month. And so I've completely changed to kind of turning up my noses at machines in general to really giving them credit. Now I still do a lot more with free weights, I think, than machines kind of just depending on the day um, or even maybe 50-50, but I've definitely changed my mind on machines. Yeah. I I mean, there's certain machines that you just can't go without, in my opinion, like a hamstring curl. You just, I mean, why would, why would you do it with a dumbbell or something? It'd be completely like awkward. It. And then also like an abduction machine to get the upper glute developed. Those are just key components for sure. All right, let's do the next one. What do you, what do you got? Okay, we got yeah. group fitness classes, group fitness classes. Okay. I'm going to go thumbs down. On these. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're overrated. They're overrated. Yep. So I just think that with bodybuilding in general, this is not for the general public. If you enjoy a group fitness class, I enjoy one every once in a while, but your training is going to be very specific to you, to your mm -hmm. goal, to your body, to the muscles right. that you need to develop, to your judges feedback. You need to be doing specifically programmed workouts by your prep coach or you. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, it wouldn't be the unicorn prep without that because we do not produce cookie cutter plans. I mean, your program looks totally different, even though you're going to have similar movements in bikini. I mean, it's, you know, the category, there's a division standard, but everyone's going to have a lagging body part um, areas that they need to really like bring up. And then they may have parts that are more dominant and in a symmetrical world as bodybuilding is it's so important to have specific movements to you. And a lot of these times, you know, the instructors, they're just trying to make it safe for the general public. And yes, some good group exercise instructors will give you like levels and modifications, but you know, what if it's not really going to serve you in your bikini goals? I mean, it's, it's such a specific type of sport that we're training for that those classes, unless, like you said, you're going for just maybe like to mix up your cardio or something like that, but you never know what that instructor has in store. So it just makes it very, um, you know, shooting blindly and could be like a waste of your time really. Well, I mean, if it's fun and you're in your improvement season and you, yeah. you know, and your coach is cool with it, go do them. I do them. Yeah, Everyone's exactly. Cool. It's great. Okay. Yep. Agreed. We're on the same page. <laughs> so we have the next one is mobility. 
And I think that that's underrated. So yeah, um, I like it. I'm team green thumbs up on mobility. I, I don't think people do it enough. Especially for me and my personal, um, I remember working with you on my hip flexor mobility and glute engagement. And when I realized that I needed to work on hip flexor mobility and warm up my hip flexors and activate my glutes before a workout, I think that helped me a lot with range of motion, with muscle activation for glutes. That's just my personal experience. I don't know if you have experience or uh, personal testimonies. Yeah, I do for my shoulders. So I have highly developed traps and they get very tight. Um, I think from like just years of softball and volleyball. And so I've learned to release my traps before I start working on my delts. And if I don't do that, my traps will overpower. But since I've been able to release my traps before my workouts, it really helps a lot. And you were talking about the um, hip flexor. So a really good way to take it even further than just like a psoas stretch or I mean, people would be calling it like a lunge basically is what it looks like or a warrior one in yoga mm -hmm. uh, where you're pressing your hips forward, you know, you're standing upright, um, taking that a step further. If you put one of those um, like on a cable, if you kind of wrap around underneath the crease of your glute ham and pull against it, then it can really get that range of motion in that hip flexor and then also foam rolling those. Mm -hmm. Um so what I noticed on you is you weren't completely locking out at the top and doing a pelvic tilt when you were doing your hip thrust when we were kind of working together with the EMG. Yep. So yeah, just getting that flexibility there to get the full range of motion makes a big difference for sure. Okay. And we actually had a listener pop in this last subject. I put a box up on the Instagram. So if you guys are not following us on Instagram, please follow Prep Life Podcast on Instagram and Amy Anger and mine is Lemarie183. Um, and so we'll often stick up question boxes for topics or questions for these episodes. So keep your eye out on that or DM us, um, or make a comment on YouTube if you're watching on YouTube for a question. So we got a listener question. She wanted to know what we thought about fasted cardio. Okay, this one's a weird one, because there's two camps. And I'm going to say it depends. So I'm both thumbs down and thumbs up, depending on who you are. Okay, I'm saying that. And I, I kind of agree with you on this too, though, I do think there's a place for it. I just think it is way over-popularized. Is that yeah. popularized? Popularized. popularized. <laughs> way over, <laughs> over focused on whether you do fasted cardio or fed cardio, honestly. I, I think it's more important the time you do your cardio versus the time you do your lift. So if you're doing your cardio right before your lift, that's a no-go. Do your cardio, either have a break before you do your lift or do your cardio after your lift. I would say that'd be more important to focus on whether you're fasted or not. For cardio, I would say doesn't really matter as much until you get deep into prep and there's a purpose for it, or even if you're in prep and there's a purpose for it. And I think a couple of purposes that would be really helpful are, um, if you're trying to keep your food in a certain window, and so you do your cardio first and you do it fasted um, to push back your eating window. I've definitely done that before if I'm on super low calories. Um, I don't know if I, do you have other reasons you would do fasted cardio? So, 
so here's why I said it depends. So I want to explain that because the research that's out there is basically if you do fasted cardio, you burn more fat while you're doing fasted cardio, but then you um, basically like it's glucose and mm-hmm. fat flip flopped and it ends up evening out. So if you do it, you know, post you're burning more glucose. Um, and then when you're not doing cardio, you're burning more fat. So it's vice versa. So from a fat loss standpoint, there's really not a superior one, but it, for me, it depends on what kind of cardio you're doing. Mm-hmm. So if I'm prescribing hit for one of my clients, I'm never going to get them fasted hit because you should not be doing that on an empty stomach. That should either be after your workout or later in the day, or at least after you've eaten a meal mm-hmm. because it should be fed. Whereas Liss, miss or steady state, whatever way you want to say it. So low intensity, moderate intensity, those are fine to be fasted. And, you know, like if I'm doing my incline walking, I'm doing it fasted for reasons like you were saying, it works with my schedule to get it done first thing. So it gets done. It also pushes back my eating window because it kind of staves off, even though I'm hungry, right? When I wake up, it kind of keeps my mind occupied. If I get that done, it's kind of like my carrot to have my breakfast. So yeah, I think it depends on what kind of cardio. So I don't know what she was asking on that question, which kind of cardio it was, but if it's steady state, I don't think it matters if it's fasted. I think most people do think about steady state, like a machine or something when they say fasted cardio, but I want to clarify because we are so, I mean, both of us are like this. We are such, we have strong opinions on doing um, hit cardio fed, but clarify why and why we don't want to go like catabolic with that. Like clarify why you would put, you would say, don't ever do that fasted. Yeah. Well, for one thing, I mean, just it's a different energy source. So you're, it's an, instead of an aerobic where you're utilizing oxygen, it's more of a, like an anaerobic when you're doing that high burst, you're burning a lot of glucose. So from the standpoint of just having like the energy to do it, mm-hmm. um, for one, it is more intense. So from a recovery standpoint, I think it's important to have food on in your system. So those are my reasons. Um, did you have an additional one? No, I definitely think those are the reasons. I just have an example. So I used to oh, coach okay. camp classes, which are basically a 45 minute hit cardio class. Yes, we do strength training, but basically you're trying to burn a lot of calories. You're trying to keep your heart rate up. It's a hit class. And I would coach these ladies that would come in at 5 a.m. in the morning to do a class and none of them wanted to eat. They would always just come in and work out on an empty stomach. I started coaching them with nutrition and having them eat a little bit on the way in. Now, these ladies were not bodybuilders, and so it was lifestyle, but even having just a little bit of fast digesting carbs, like a banana or half a protein bar or something before they did the workout, they would start burning more calories because they had that fuel, that energy. And so they would be shocked that they would burn so many more calories in a workout because they were doing that well-fueled. So there's just an example for you. Yeah. Were they looking at their watches and seeing like their active calories during the like heart rate monitors? And so a big thing with, I told them like, this is not an accurate number, but you can, but it's apples to apples, right? Exactly. If you usually burn 400 calories in a session and all of a sudden you're burning five, five fifty six, that's progress. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, I like that. And that hits us at the 30 minute mark. So that was all of our questions. <laughs> we timed that just right. Um, so we are headed tomorrow. We're leaving for Orlando. We're going to the women's NBC workshop and I'm so excited. So I'm sure a lot of listeners will probably be there on Saturday. Be sure to, you know, say hello. We always like listening or meeting our listeners. Um, and getting photos with them as well. So please don't hesitate um, to introduce yourselves. And if you would like to apply for your unicorn prep, you can go to glamgirlbikini.com and hit the get started button and apply there. And if you would like to uh, follow us on Instagram and tag us, please, in your story, if you you listened in, we're at Prep Life Podcast or at Glam Girl Bikini. And as always, we like to keep this podcast ad free. So if you want to pay it forward to other listeners that are interested in similar topics as you, please don't forget to leave a rating and a review. We sure appreciate it. With that, we are signing off. This is your founder and CEO of Glam Girl Bikini, Amy Anger. Thanks for listening, guys.